Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. I am here today remotely still with Erica Slater. Hey, everyone. Liz Linovy. Hi there. Elizabeth McNulty. Hey, y'all. And Mary Simon. Hi, everybody. Today, we want to share with our audience some of the inevitable bad experiences that can happen when you're in our kind of business. They are going to come up today, next week, next month, constantly in our job. And I think sharing some of our particular experiences and what happened and maybe why they happened and most importantly, how we dealt with them can be helpful to our listeners. So one of the things that when I was thinking about bad blood, I'm telling you ladies, like 25 years of bad experiences came flooding (laughs) back to me because some of them are kind of traumatic to talk about. But again, I think anytime a bad experience happens, our job and the takeaway is to learn from it. And I like to believe that even though I've had a ton of bad blood experiences over the years, that I've really gotten better at dealing with them and most importantly, not taking them so personally. So I will start with one particular experience that will stay in my mind pretty much forever. And it included a lawsuit that I'd filed on behalf of a young woman who had colon cancer that was misdiagnosed by a radiologist. The radiologist did not see the cancer on a CT scan that she was tasked with interpreting. And because that radiologist missed that mass in my client's belly, it was allowed to grow and to metastasize and ultimately took her life, leaving behind two young children who became my clients after my client passed away. We had filed suit while she was still alive, and it is still one of the biggest regrets. And I know you guys know I don't do regrets, and I don't know what I could have done differently, but it still hurts me that I couldn't resolve that case while she was alive. So she had some satisfaction from it, but the cancer was just too advanced and she passed away during the pendency of the litigation. But when she passed, her children became my clients because they were her heirs. And in Missouri, we have a wrongful death statute that names certain people to be in the class of people who can continue on the lawsuit. And she wasn't married at the time. The guardians of her children at that time were her ex-husband, and he needed to hire me to pursue the claim on his children's behalf. But luckily, I had always had a good relationship with him. So it was really just paperwork to sign whenever we needed to have a new, quote, plaintiff for the lawsuit. But the law firm that had been representing the defendant, that radiologist in the hospital, well, the radiologist in that case, once my client died, contacted her her ex-husband, who was the guardian of her minor children, directly. Now, it wasn't the lawyer, but it was the insurance company representative. But he contacted my client directly and he said things like, you know, you know that Amy Gunn, I just, I just don't know how I feel about, if I were you, I just don't know how I'd feel about her representing me. I mean, and it was sexist 
and he said, I can get you a lawyer for a less lesser fee than Amy Gunn and basically tried to settle the case out from under me directly with the client. Now, I am not kidding you. Okay, that happened. And my client, again, thank goodness I'd had a good relationship with him. He called me and he was like, what the hell is going on here? And I said, what, who? And he gave me the man's name. I went straight to John Simon and I was flaming mad, flaming mad. We called the lawyer and left a message and he pretended like he didn't know anything about it. But I will never forget that. And again, I signed my client and we tried that case, ladies and gentlemen. And as we are waiting for a jury after a week and a half of trial, that insurance guy shows up at trial and tries to engage me in a conversation. Yeah. So you know how fried you are after a week and a half of trial. And I, to my everlasting credit, just walked away from him. (laughs) Because well, Amy, there were whatever many- was the topic, what could he have possibly wanted to talk right. to you about? I don't know. While the jury was out. Right. That's insane, That's Amy. Right. Oh, it gets better. Okay. So long story short, it was successful. The litigation was very successful. And fast forward, there's a, a holiday party every year, uh, except this year. Uh, that's a lot of fun <laughs> and a lot of lawyers and business people go to, and, and I enjoy going to it. And this insurance guy was there oh. and I see him, this is maybe five years after that incident. And ladies, I had a physical reaction. Like I was physically hopped up and he came up to me and oh my was God. like, friendly and remembered the case and told me I did a good job. And it was everything not to punch him in the face in the middle of the holiday party. And trust me, if I wanted to do it, you know, Kevin Gunn wanted to do it. Anyway, I will say this. I tried to avoid the interaction by kind of walking away, but I was, those things are so crowded. I was kind of trapped. And how do you think I acted? Anybody? Kill him with kindness. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I and I would. bet you had, I bet you had like a certain sort of smile that you make when like we know what you really are thinking. Right. That you have but, to know you really well to know what that smile. Anybody is. in this little group that would have seen that interaction be like, oh man, what's going on over there? <laughs> right. <laughs> but to anyone else, but to anyone else, it would come off super pleasant. Sure. He had his wife there, and she seemed lovely, and he's telling a story about his daughter getting married, and I was just just interested and and fawning over this wonderful story. That really was quite the experience. But I tell you, it is a lesson in just knowing what would it have done for me, other than to make me feel great for about three minutes, right? What would it have done to have called him out and to shamed him in front of his wife or whoever else was standing there? You know, I know it probably didn't teach him anything. And you could say that I lost my opportunity to educate him on how to be a decent human being. But at the same time, that just would have brought me down. It would have brought me down to, to where he was. And ultimately, it just wasn't worth it. And so sometimes you just have to close your eyes, take a deep breath and know what goes around comes around and be satisfied with that. But 
I would definitely consider that a, a bad blood experience. Anybody else? It's downhill from here, right. listeners. But it, and I know no one else can see us, but I think everyone's jaw dropped to the floor. I have no idea how I would react, and I think that that is a credit to Amy, your experience, and cooler heads prevailing because I would have lost. Mm-mm. my blank there <laughs> oh see, my part god of that, and i truly believe that this goes back to react you know respond don't react i think when you react and you play into it and you take the bait and you start fighting you start name calling which is all the things i wanted to do and did afterwards and continue to do in close company but in front of that person at that time it would not have helped me at all it would have reflected poorly on me And that's just what I can't afford. I just can't afford for people to believe that they can affect me because once they understand that, you never know who's going to try. I just like this topic because I think it's especially on point, not only for our podcast, but it's interesting having a female perspective from all these moments, which is that line between, you know, smile and be nice, depending on what the other person's saying versus holding your own and opening your mouth and speaking up for yourself. And I'm just kind of thinking even about our previous episodes and moments where we've all had moments where we feel like we're a little bit, we're being a little bit disrespected and how we handle those moments. And they kind of bleed into these bad blood moments where we have to think to ourselves you know, who am I? What's my long-term goal? Amy, to your point. Yep. I wrote down long game when we started talking about ladies. I just, that's the thing I keep coming back to. And I think most women probably have had these situations where they leave and then they go call their friend and talk about all the things they should have said or could have said, (laughs) or what should I have done differently? Right after I got licensed, I remember I, I went to go like argue uh, maybe it was a motion to compel or something. I just know it was it was something that required me and the other attorney to have a conversation prior to going into the courtroom. Or maybe we had gone in and there was a long docket, so we stepped out to see what we could work out, whatever this motion was. And this attorney, I swear, she just told me all of this stuff in the hallway that she was going to agree to and that we came to this Mm -hmm. agreement and we get into the courtroom and she says the exact opposite happened and the exact opposite I agreed to. And, and I'm standing there and I had just gotten licensed. So I'm still sort of getting my footing of be confident. It's adversarial. Of course, no matter what they say is going to be opposite you. You need to speak up for yourself, speak up for your client, But in the moment, I was just fuming because I'm like, she just, a a lawyer stood out in the hall and lied to me. You know, I know that that happens sometimes now and you kind of know which lawyers do that stuff the longer you practice. But it was so early on and I was so shocked thinking, this is such an esteemed profession. We hold ourselves to such high standards of integrity and honesty. and, And I just had a conversation with a woman face to face and she's been practicing a lot longer than, you know, the three months I had been. Which means and she knows better and she knew what she was doing. She was yes. trying to take advantage. Yes. And she just lied to me. And then we get in front of the judge and I've got my nice little agreement written out in my notebook. And I'm sitting here thinking, 
do I tell the judge, you know, well, that's funny, Your Honor, because she just, <laughs> she just lied. But then I'm sitting there thinking, of course, I'm not going to stand there. I just got my license. I'm not going to stand up in front of a judge and say, boo-hoo on her and she's lying. And I just right. went back to my original argument, which was we didn't have a lot that we agreed on anyway. And I've had other similar interactions with the same attorney. And I've just learned in those moments, if we're not talking about a case, we're completely fine. But as soon as we're talking about a case, I'm going to get everything in writing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get everything in writing that she's going to write and confirm for me. And I'll bring that with me next time we go to a hearing or a deposition or something. And it's those things aggravate me so much. And I, one of the things that I learned from that, that I've carried with me is you got to have someone in your corner that you can call after the hearing and vent to get it off our chest. And then remember what I can and can't control. It's sad that I can't, I can't always just trust what another person's telling me when they're looking at me in my eyes, telling me what's going to happen when we walk into the courtroom and then it's the opposite. But I'm like, you know what? Next time I'm just going to come prepared yeah. for, for that to happen. And she taught you that and you're not going to forget that about her. But I think it's perfectly acceptable to tell other people that you know or trust that might be uh, opposite of her on a case that that's the way she operates. It's your reputation. And if you choose to have a dishonest reputation or a not trustworthy reputation, that should be on you. It should be on you. So I think the lesson is, as you totally said, Mary, very eloquently, is you can only control what you can control. And part of what you can control is letting other people know how that person is. And then maybe one of these days it'll affect her behavior, or at least she won't take advantage of as many people as long as they know if they're well informed about her. The other point I think you made that was very important is you put everything in writing. As I like to call it, the, the CYA emails, the CYA memos, you know, covering your own tail uh, <laughs> to make sure everything is in writing because they can't dispute. And I just had that issue with, uh, with an opposing counsel where I put all of our conversations into writing and I send send all of those emails and my recitation of that conversation to that attorney. I say, if you disagree with any of that, please let me know. Otherwise, I assume that this is accurate. And that way, if it does go in front of a judge, I can say, Your Honor, I gave her an opportunity to to tell me where I'm wrong. And so far, she's she, everything she's come back with is, is based on memory. I'm coming with writing from the time. So I think CYA notes are very important. But I've got two stories that still sometimes I will think about and they will just send a shiver up my spine because of how mortified I was in the moment. The first one was my very first hearing I had ever gone to. I was less than a month out from being licensed. It was when I was working at a defense firm. I got sent to cover a hearing for a motion I had not filed regarding a trial I had not been involved in. But the motion itself was something that under the statute we were entitled to. It was basically they the defense had won at trial and they were now seeking repayment for the deposition costs, which they were entitled to under the statute. And the, associate, the senior associate that had sent me out there said, don't worry, it's very clear statutory language. The judge isn't going to fight you on it. 
if the plaintiff's counsel fights you on it, you just say, your honor, the statute is here in black and white. And I said, okay, great. An easy one. I'm ready to go. This is going to be great. My first time in, in court, I'm 24 years old and I'm there, my shiny brand new bar card. And I go in and I begin my motion and about halfway through, it wasn't even a long argument because, again, the statute was right there. The judge just begins to tear me a new one, oh, yelling no. at me in front of everyone in the court, the court staff, other attorneys, people that were there representing clients, people that representing themselves pro se. I was just getting torn apart. Oh, no. Again, for a motion, I did not. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this. Your Honor, when I, when this motion was filed, I was taking the bar exam. This really wasn't my idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I clearly lost the motion. And so the uh, plaintiff's counsel and I went back into a room to write up the order where I lost. And he noticed when I wrote my bar number, he goes, that looks uh, brand new. When did you get licensed? And I said, um, about three weeks ago. <laughs> oh, no. and, and we go back in and the plaintiff's attorney says to the judge, you know, your honor, Miss Washam, was, I was unmarried at the time. Miss Washam here just got licensed, just passed the bar. And the judge's attitude towards me did a, a complete 180. He went from screaming at me, telling me what a terrible person I was, what a terrible law firm I was from. How could we possibly ask of this, of this poor plaintiff to saying, well, welcome to the profession. Oh gosh. <laughs> welcome. welcome. This is an esteemed <laughs> profession full of wonderful people. You are going to have a great career ahead of you. <laughs> and I said, Tight, okay. tighten your laces, girlfriend. <laughs> Hold on. I, I, I said, thank you, Your Honor. Now please hand me my motion where I lost so I can go back and explain to my boss how I lost a motion that we were statutorily entitled to. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the second story I've got is it was one of my first trials. It was with Amy. Amy gave me the opportunity to do the jury selection. And I was not great at it. I will admit I was very green and I was learning on the job. And at one you point, you were me, fantastic. I will, I will disagree because at one point the judge called us up and he said, you know, with the caliber of attorney in front of me, I really expected this to be better. <laughs> What? Oh, God. <laughs> I remember that. I think I remember that. Remember this. I remember it so clearly. And I said, okay, Your Honor, I'll tighten it up. And I went back out there and I got it done. I then went to the office and cried because it was just humiliating. Now, luckily, the jury couldn't hear him telling me this, but it was in front of the other attorneys and it was in front of Amy. And I was just having a, a woe is me pity party moment. And Amy came, Amy came into the office, my office, and I think he said something along the lines of, what, what's the matter? Why, why, why are you crying? And I explained, the judge, and I, you know, I'm just so embarrassed. And you were like, you don't have time for this. We got to get ready for trial tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. All right. We got, we got things to do. And and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I tried to clean it up. But the, the lessons, even though it's not really 
bad blood, even though I remember those judges. I remember them. They don't remember me. I remember them. But the things I the thing I learned from both of those examples is that in this profession, you really just got to let things roll off your back. You have to learn to take, you know, take a minute, but then move on. You've got to roll with the punches and move on. And I think especially that first judge, the extreme flip he did from yelling at me to then welcoming me into the profession just shows how you really can't take any of this personal. And I think that's something you get better at with age and with experience. And unfortunately, I learned those lessons very early on. But that's the the takeaway I've gotten from those bad experiences with judges. And I yeah. am much better now. I'm older. I'm more experienced. Got those years under my belt. I'm good. Any bad experience that you survive does truly make you stronger, better, more resilient. Erica, I know you've got some stories, lady. What do you got? I kind of pride myself on, I usually get along really well with opposing counsel, or at least am cordial enough. And it's really true when I was younger, I would like lose sleep over someone being a jerk or someone being like a really difficult opposing counsel. And now like, you just can't touch me. <laughs> like, I just don't take it home. You know, like, if I'm losing sleep, like, somebody's really getting to me. And it's just so not worth it. And I think I think it's funny now. Like, I used to internalize it and think, like, oh, it's something I did wrong. Or, you know, that person thinks poorly of me. And, and most of the time, every opposing counsel I haven't gotten along with, everyone agrees they're a jerk. You know, there's no one out there that everyone's like, they're lovely. What are you talking about? It's not me, <laughs> you know? Right. So there's this colleague who went on a power trip and acted completely inappropriate and like chewed me a new one oh. on something. And it was a boy, right? Mm, it was a boy. Of okay. course it was. So that was strike one. And then later on, first couple of years of practice, he hit me again with something. And it was gossiping about me about something. And I found out that this originated with him. And I didn't confront him about it. It wasn't, wasn't worth it at the time. I just put it as strike two. He's still out there. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it's coming someday. <laughs> He's on the list. Erica's like, and the lesson is to be determined, and I'll let uh -huh, you know. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've been practicing for a decade, and I haven't seen where it's coming yet, but <laughs> it's still smoking, and I don't forget it. And I don't know where the lesson's going to be, but there's going to be some day when he needs something from me, or because I am convinced he has no idea that I hold a hold a vendetta against him. He's on all of our lists, I'm pretty sure. The thing is, it is thinking about the long game. I will always be professional towards this person, but he will need something from me one day and I will not be there to help him out. A lot of the bad blood stories I think about are just, they all happen so early on, like in the first year of practicing. And I think it's just because, Erica, to your point, you have to get to the point where you are like, you can't touch me. I'm not going to be bothered by what right. you say to me. I'm not going to be aggravated. You choose that. 
And initially, I think because you don't know what you're doing in the first year of practice, probably the (laughs) second year too, when someone's pressing you on something or yelling at you, especially on the other side of the case, you're not only kind of thrown off because someone, another adult is looking at you, like yelling at you, but you're also like, I don't (laughs) even know if if what I'm doing is the right right thing or what I'm supposed to say back. You guys all know that I had a lot of bad blood stories with an attorney who's been practicing, I mean, years and years and years ahead of me, a much older gentleman. And this attorney, the first time I went to go get a, like a trial setting in this case, he yelled at me in the courtroom and was like, you're being completely illogical. What you're saying is illogical. And he was pointing at me down because he's so tall pointing down at me. There's other attorneys in the courtroom witnessing him yelling at me. And I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, I'm asking for a trial setting. So I can't, (laughs) I mean, nothing I'm asking about is being illogical. And then he said to me in the courtroom, meet me outside. (laughs) I'm thinking in my head, this has got to be a joke. And I, I could probably feel like my face turning red or something, knowing that all these other attorneys, and it's a quiet docket, And I'm thinking, meet him outside? Like, are we going to fight? So, Mary, in 10 years, you'll start reaching into your purse for your brass knuckles. (laughs) I walked out out into the hallway and he's standing there and then starts yelling at me about how my client does not have damages and the merit of my case. And I'm like, whoa, I think something is like majorly going on with this guy that he's just losing it, screaming yeah. at me and other attorneys still witnessing it. It just was really weird. And I like the biggest thing I've learned from that is like that had nothing to do with me. I'm a hundred percent sure it had nothing to do with that me. That is a good realization. That is a mm-hmm. good realization. Elizabeth, do you have any stories to tell? Come on. You got something, right? It was in my first job. I was in law school. I don't really know what happened. It was a collaborative environment, but I was the youngest one there and I had to answer a lot of the questions. I felt like I was doing a lot of work for people and I was answering one of these questions and she called me a bitch. And I, after I answered the question and I, it caught me really off guard. So I said, what did you just say? Because I was going to let her run it back. If she was like, never mind, like, sorry, I was just going to move on from it. She said it again. She doubled down on it. And I was like, oh, okay. And I think that if it happened to me now, I would just kind of like be like, okay, whatever. But I, it caught me off guard. And then she didn't speak to anyone in the room for like three months. Like she never said a word. So I think it was the first time I learned that like not all women that you work with, not necessarily like your colleagues, but maybe opposing counsel and things like that, they're not all going to champion you. Some people will be there to kind of stand in your way and like try to knock you down in that way. And I think that I feel so fortunate to now be a part of this group to where I really do feel championed by you and we get to have conversations like this that have really helped me and prepared me for my career as a lawyer. And I think that I'm more prepared for them when they do inevitably happen hearing all of your stories. I have a specific memory of maybe my first or second year. I think maybe in my second year, there were like a couple of pretty rough months for me at work. And I remember I, after getting through it, and it was just a lot of case stuff, a lot of work just piling up and a big learning curve. And I was just kind of at my 
tipping point. And Amy, I remember I asked to go to lunch with you and we went to lunch and we had a really nice sit down conversation. And I was sharing some of the stuff that I'd been going through. And I'm like, it's nice to have people in your circle to kind of dig you out of that and pull you back and be like, hey, I know things have been kind of rocky for the last couple of months, but I'm here to tell you it's just a couple months and you're coming out of it and it's going to be better. Yeah. Yeah. And Elizabeth, what you were saying, I often find it particularly offensive when it's another woman who's coming after you on something. You know, there is that one example. Amy will remember this. So there was an email exchange and uh, I was already married. My maiden name was changed to Slater. And at one point I got a email address to Miss Slutter. (laughs) And if you look at the keyboard, A and U are not close. close. Uh, They're not close. No, no. (laughs) And we were laughing so hard I was crying I I was trying so hard to be like girl I'm sorry this is just funny I'm sorry if you're upset this is just funny and I remember just skipping out of the office that day because we were laughing so hard and I mean you know I was like this is not women supporting women (laughs) I mean I just got the I just got the capital S word thrown at me Uh, and I mean yeah now now anyone who listens to this podcast if I get an email address to Miss Slutter I'm gonna know that that is gonna be purposeful (laughs) purposeful yeah I wear that as a badge of honor and girl you know I I have that email printed in my in my file. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm a firm believer in writing down and documenting your experiences like this. And I'm not saying officially in a document, but I have a book. I've talked about this book a little bit. I've got one. I just I keep little journals and I keep things like I had coffee with blah, blah today and she was delightful and here's what she wants to do and here's how I might be able to help her and vice versa. But I will also keep little notes about this is what, this is this really bad blood interaction that I had today because partly is as time goes on, things run together, bad things happen, you get over it, you forget about it, whatever it is. And I don't keep it because I want to keep it fresh, but I do think it's important that if people act badly, there should be consequences. And if I'm not able to provide those consequences at that time by calling them out or you know, making them look like liars in front of a judge or whatever it is, because I think those things reflect on me, then I will write them down and I will rem- remember them. And this is going to sound really <laughs> a little bit vindictive maybe, but I want to remember those things because I believe you should be judged by your actions. And I believe that if you're going to make choices to not be uh, professional, not to be potentially sometimes not ethical, then you should receive consequences for that. And particularly in our profession, where you really are judged by your reputation, you live and die by it. I know that every single person on this call and every attorney in our office has had moments and cases where they think, wow, it'd be a lot easier to just do A, B, and C instead of doing everything very thoroughly and honestly and walking through the steps exactly as you need to. 
and we pick the honest route every single time. And it's just, it's something that we're never going to stop doing and that we expect of others. So when it doesn't happen, it almost just, it stings a little bit more when, when something like that happens, because we're trying so hard not to, you know, be that way or, or say things and say things without thinking about it. I come from a family of mean talkers and you better keep up. (laughs) And it, it, has been a struggle for me sometimes to watch myself. But I know at the end of the day, there is no opposing counsel. There is no judge. There is no coworker. No one worth sacrificing my professional reputation and my future in this career just so I can have that 20 seconds of putting them in their place. So Very well said. It's Very tough, well said. But you got to take the high road. And find your group of gals or whoever to gab with and to, you know, talk bad about and keep it in your circle, keep it tight. You control your own destiny and your future is more important than anything else. I think what's important when you find yourself in a bad blood situation, whether it's in the office, outside the office, in the courtroom, is to try as best you can to control your reactions. And to know that whatever you say will be remembered. And if someone is acting, in your opinion, poorly or disrespectfully, that that is their problem. And as irritating and as effective as those actions are, I can promise you that overreacting or getting in the gutter is never going to be the right answer in the moment. It takes a lot of self-restraint and self-awareness, but we can all do that. I know everyone everyone here does that already. It takes a great deal of strength, but we can do it. It's the right thing to do. I would give the exact same advice and then tack on that right after that interaction happens and you have taken the high road and you've done justice to your reputation, you get in your car, you turn on that music full blast and you drive straight home, kick off your heels, open a bottle of wine and you have yourself a night and in the morning, it's over. You give yourself a night you deal with it, you do whatever you need to do to to work out that demon and then and then you tell it on the podcast later. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, feel it, get through those emotions because it's so frustrating and give yourself time to be just pissed. Cuz it's it is it, it can be such an emotional reaction and then wake up the next morning and don't look back true. I'll echo both what Amy and Erica said and and add to it with have someone in your corner that you can talk to about it to help process cuz I agree with you Erica. I've even learned from you in this way as to just you accept it, you're dealing with it. If you need to share it with someone, share it with one person that you trust and then put it behind you. And it's it's nice to know that you that you have that one person who you can go to. Mhm. My advice is advice I've given before, but I think that it's worth mentioning again, and it's that 
you can't make everything about you. And sometimes people have bad days and they take it out on you. And I'm not saying that that makes it right, but I think it helps at least me to process it and not internalize it so much. That wasn't about me. I'm going to move on and like not let this ruin my day. Like I'm just going to keep going. And I think that it's a lot easier said than done. But if you can process things like that, you don't have to hold all of that anger and resentment inside you. Although, you know, sometimes it can fuel you, but I think that you have to be strategic about the times that you want to use that against someone. This conversation has sort of now shifted and made me think about actually a theology professor I had in college. And the lesson was on forgiveness. And he told this really horrific story. And then how this woman did this amazing task. She was a victim of a crime and how she was able to forgive the, the people that victimized her. And my response, I was 18, 19 at the time, I said, I would never forgive them. I don't see why I should have to do that. And, and his response to me was, when you don't forgive someone, that is no longer their problem. You are just wearing it on yourself. It, it's just going to, you know, bear deeper and deeper into you. And it's something that you're not going to be able to put past you. And so while I think when we have this conversation about bad blood in a professional sense, you should certainly remember these incidents because if someone's willing to lie to you, like what you described, Mary, or go behind your back, like what Amy described, or gossip about you, or just call you a name straight to your face, a really horrible name, uh, that is behavior that they're probably going to exhibit in the future. But that's no reason why you should make their character defect something that becomes your problem. So I think my general advice is don't carry that with you. Don't make it your problem. Ladies, thank you so much for another fun episode of Heels in the Courtroom. And for those of you who are listening, please feel free to reach out to us individually or to heelsinthecourtroom.law. Thank you again, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. See ya. Bye. Heelsinthecourtroom.law. Heels in the Courtroom is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. Connect with Amy, Liz, Mary, Erica, or Elizabeth at heelsinthecourtroom.law.